Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. Holla. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about how you can and should equip yourself to win, and why you might not getting the pro- why you might not get the projects that you think you deserve. Um. And why where you are might be where you need to be. Oh. And why that's okay. Ooh. And why that doesn't suck. Yeah, am I am I like am I on a little preaching roll Ooh, here, Sam? Come on, Matt, let's go. Can we get a little choir in the background? Model number one. Come on. Let's unpack it. The bag's already open. I was unpacking uh, as you were going there. You got like the fan out, you fan yourself. <laughs> got my hanky in the air. Lordy. Oh, unpack it, Matt. Woo. In case we use this intro, <laughs> Sam and I just did and butchered the heck out of a previous intro. So this is actually a less butchered version of yeah the same intro. So <laughs> this one's more whatever fun. one you get, consider yourself blessed. <laughs> Hallelujah, Sam. I'm gonna set you up to preach. Let's do it. Come on, I'm on the pulpit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> why might people not be equipping themselves to win? Why may they not be ready for the bigger projects or any project at all or to even be like working? Not saying you're not worthy to do it. Mm-hmm. Why may they mm-hmm. not be ready? Might they not be ready? Okay, let's open up our books to chapter 12, verse 3. Oh man. A reading. Here we go. I'm not reading anything. Okay. These, From this, the book of Samuel. The book of Samuel. Oh, gosh. Here we go. Uh, okay. Let me answer this question. Attempt to answer it. Monologue number one. Um, you might not be ready for the project you think you want or deserve because you have not prepared yourself or you don't have a good understanding of what is even required of you to complete that project for the client. When I was starting in audio, I had this fascination, not a fascination, more of a fantasy of wanting to work with Kanye West. And at the time I was making hip hop in my parents' basement closet, which is where Mm -hmm. I started this music journey, which is a lovely place to start. And it's right where I needed to be because at that time my skill level was that of garage band, an inbox, a pantyhose pop filter, and a Samsung CO1U microphone that was $50. <laughs> but I had this fantasy. Sorry, I'm laughing at your humble beginnings. <laughs> I had this. I just thought it was funny you said a pantyhose pop filter. <laughs> pantyhose <laughs> pop filter. What up? <laughs> you know you're capturing good vocals. That's going to be on a shirt. Oh, pantyhose pop filter. <laughs> pantyhose pop. <laughs> can't even say it. Someone, someone in our audience should sample that, make it into a hip-hop beat, get Kanye to hear it, and then let me record Kanye. Full circle moment. <laughs> on a pantyhose pop filter. On a pantyhose pop filter. So I wanted oh to work gosh. with Kanye, but... Me working, wanting to work with Kanye was really based out of the idea that I thought Kanye West was the end-all, be-all when College Dropout came out. And one of my favorite albums of all time, and I was super into hip-hop and rap when I started my music journey, still am super into it. And I thought 
I just, I want to work with Kanye West. I should work with Kanye West. That's all I want to do. And it was really a desire to work with someone who was cool or known in hopes that other people would think I was also cool. And there's nothing essentially wrong with wanting to work with people that are great artists that you enjoy. But when the motive is that you want to be cool or to do an album that your parents may be aware exists or to impress your friends or your partner in life to feel like you've actually done something. Um, oftentimes we are not ready to do that. And if we do get the opportunity to do that, even if the project goes well, I've found myself early on in my career when I started to have some uh, breaks into successful uh, or working with more successful artists that some people kind of knew, I was still unfulfilled um, because I was trying to just prove to people that I was worthy and cool. And me wanting to work with Kanye in my parents' basement closet, um, I had this realization, I don't know, four or five years ago, that Kanye West would never work with me in my parents' basement, most likely, because that is not what Kanye West wants to do. That's not what his team wants to do. And that is not, uh, they want to spend money. They want to have an experience. Kanye wants to be in an inspiring space. And most likely, my parents' closet basement is not that space. And him recording on a pantyhose pop filter is probably not mm. going to get him the result he wants, most likely. And this it's isn't true, a, uh, a pantyhose pop filter. Yeah. And this isn't a poo poo where you're at, poo poo gear. We all start somewhere. We're all on a journey. But I've found as I've talked to people and helped people through the last eight, 10 years, um, people that ask me, how do I do what I do? Or how did I, how do I make a living doing this? Or how did I work with so and so artists? Um, there seems to be a disconnect that. For most people, you are not ready to do the work you desire to do. And I remember my first label gig for mastering doing a full length years ago. They were talking about DDPs and ISRC codes and alternate masters and a TV mix and a Vox Up and splitting things. And I had to deliver all this stuff that I literally had never done before and I never thought that I would have to do it. I was used to just doing a single for a random client. You do the single, you do maybe an instrumental, and that's it. And I remember just telling the label, the management, just saying like, yeah, I can do that, I can do that. And then as soon as we got off the phone, uh, I just started Googling the heck out of things and trying to find the answers <laughs> on what these things meant. And I very quickly realized, wow, I had spent years and years trying to work with labels and work with these bands, and I, sh and I wish I would have spent more time educating myself on what is actually required of the job that I think I desire or that will make me feel cool. And I think what I've noticed as well over the years is as I've gotten busier and I've tried to hand work off to people... Um, you know, if I'm too busy and trying to help other people out, I've realized that most people, and I used to be this way too, you're just not ready. So like my clients that I work with are usually artists that are on album two or three, maybe they're signed, maybe they're under management, you know, they probably have some sort of 
career going where they're actually making money off music, they also want to work with people who only do maybe one thing. So like if I have a pop client and I'm too busy, I'm going to send that client to someone else who maybe only specializes in pop mastering. They don't want to go to somebody's website and see that you record and you edit and you do graphic design and you do all these things. And there's nothing wrong. I want everyone to hear this. There's nothing wrong with doing all those things. But sometimes we are, I used to do this too when I started like seven years ago. On my website, I offered everything from engineering to vocal tuning to production to mixing to mastering in hopes to pay my bills, but it gave off the wrong impression of what I really wanted to be doing to potential clients. And because of that, I know there's plenty of work that I did not get to do because I hadn't prepared myself and focused on really what I wanted to offer people. So... That's kind of my initial, my initial monologue here, Matt, is I want people to be equipped, equipped to win and I want people to think more about how do I prepare myself and practice and put in the time and put in the work and put in the hours so that when that opportunity does come up that I can just kick the door right in and go knock it out of the park as opposed to doing what a lot of people have done, which is what I did, which was immediately I started panicking and going, I don't know what any of this stuff is. This is the opportunity I wanted, but now I'm so stressed out. Like this is worse than not having the opportunity. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. you don't have to, obviously there's a learning curve with anything new and that's fine. But if I could go back to young Sam starting out, which I'm still young, (laughs) but if I could go back to when I started eight to 10 years ago, I would have told myself this, which is like, hey, you need to practice, you need to research, you need to try and find people who do that thing that you desire to do, beg them to give you 10 minutes of their time, ask them questions, and equip yourself to really be able to best serve the client when the opportunity comes up. And that's really what it's about, is serving the client well. You may think you want to do a certain project, and you may think you're a good fit, And then that project come along and you could actually be like, actually, I'm a terrible fit for this. (laughs) And that's, that can happen. And I've had that happen where there's an artist I think I want to work with. And then I see what's required and I go, you know what, as cool as this would be, this isn't what I want to be doing. And this isn't for me. And Mm -hmm. having that discernment, I wish I would have had that years ago. And someone would have told me this, which is that like, you don't have to do everything. Your value is not based on the artists you work with. Like you're already enough and where you're at is where you need to be. And there always will be more opportunities. I truly believe that if you're committed to this industry, there will always be opportunities. And a lot of times the opportunities I think I want by the time I'm, you know, quote unquote, good enough or the skill level I feel like is good enough, that artist is actually on their way out at that Mm. point, which has happened a number of times where when I started in this industry 10 years ago, there were artists where I was like, oh, if I could just work with them, that would be so amazing. And now that artist is like old news, like no one was like they're on their way out. So me working with that artist now is actually kind of like not a good move because they're on their way out and it would only be a good move if I really wanted to still work with them, you know, or wanted to make an album with them for the sake of having that experience. But 
I think we spend a lot of time daydreaming and fantasizing about what we wish we were doing or we think we should be doing. And it's really easy to get caught up in that and use that as a scapegoat to let us off the hook from doing the work and investing into our skill and business. So that's my opening monologue number one, Matt. What are your thoughts? Come on. Damn, yeah, it is. Come on. What do you got? What the hell of a monologue. <laughs> that was a 20-minute monologue. I went in. I went in. <laughs> you went deep. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean... With all of that, like I, I don't, I don't disagree on a thing. Also, if oh, anyone here is wow. a lot of, what, you don't disagree with anything? No, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm pretty. I mean, I'm excellent. Pretty good. I mean, I'm happy with that. That's fine. When I used to run the cigar store, I had this old captain, and he'd always say, yeah, "I'm as happy as a puppy with two Peters." <laughs> like, <laughs> all right then. All right, sounds good. Thanks for sharing. Sounds good. Um, so that's me right now. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, now the kind of the thing is like, okay, well, how do you get there to where you are going, like to where you want to be? I mean, I'm a very big proponent in the whole reverse engineering idea yes. of just find out where you want to be and then literally work it backwards to where you are. And then you at least have somewhat of a blueprint, if not a web of ideas on or a web of directions and how to get to where you like ultimately want to end up. And the interesting part about that and with life is that typically you will follow a path that, I mean, while it might stay close to that, I mean, you might go off on a completely different direction and find, frankly, a new love. Mm-hmm. Um, or a new desire. So that's all about mapping out those like 1,000 small steps that get you like there. It's like, okay, I decide. <clears throat> so I was running front of house for a handful of churches and I've been affirmed several times that through my attention to detail, I might be a good fit for being a mastering engineer. So I think, okay, well, where do I want to be? I want to have a room somewhere, whether it's in my house or whatever capacity, and I'm going to need a monitoring rig. I'm going to need, like, X, Y, and Z to put all this together. And first thing I need to do before even money is I need to study. I need to figure this out, and I need to figure out why does a mastery engineer even exist and what is the importance of this, and then study the market that I'm thinking about getting into and I kind of take it to like a pretty crazy level of detail because I want to know like who I'm going to be marketing to and who I'm going to be doing work for down to like the socioeconomic status of that person or group of people and to like how those people think and to like what their lives are like I mean that's that's kind of what I'm getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> then once you are studying, you figure, okay, well, what's a good first step? A good first step in anything, regardless, anything audio, regardless of like gear and everything else is you need to, first of all, have a love for music. 
And I mean, it's kind of funny how many people work in music that don't have a love for it mm-hmm. um, or kind of fall out of love with it. Well, the first thing that you need to purchase is a great set of speakers. <clears throat> Literally as best a set that you can afford. It's not really something that you should go cheap on, seeing as how it's going to be the only reference between you and what you're working on. It's like I don't see the point in cheaping out with it. Um <clears throat> So save up as much money as you can afford and then drop those on a pair of speakers. What's the next thing you do? You get a pair of stands or you decouple them somehow from your desk. It's like I'm literally telling you what I did. I had <laughs> my laptop and then I bought my Pro-Ax because I know about Pro-Ax and I know about the specific model of Pro-Ax that I wanted and I know other people who use them and they don't. while they don't use them for mastering, I know that they're, they're a hell of a good monitor and Upon listening to them, I'm like, yep, I can use this for mastering. And then I researched all the amps that people who have them use. And then after trying out a various amount of amps, picking out the amplifier that I wanted, like, okay, good. Now I have like, I have a basis for this. And now what I need to do is I need to decouple this from everything. And so I look up what's the best type of speaker stand I can afford or more like what's out there. And I find sound anchors, and I'm like, holy shit, that's expensive. They're 100 pounds <laughs> each. I want a pair. So I just did that, and I bought it. And you upgrade your cabling, and you upgrade your rig, and you just keep listening to music. And you just fall more and more and more in love with music. And then, I mean, you just plan out these little tiny steps. And then eventually you get to the point where you have some cash from doing this, and you can start buying a couple pieces of gear. Um, I mean, it's kind of annoying. Like when you first start out, you're like, "Wait, I need a converter to do this, and <laughs> I gotta buy this expensive thing in order to get the expensive thing I really want." It's like, yes, <laughs> that is the process. But I've been there. <laughs> yeah, but it's like you have to like you have to plan it out. And I've said this in other episodes. When you're starting out, you don't pigeonhole yourself with one thing. It's like the reason I got a Lynx Hilo is because it was a mastering grade converter that was still being used like years after it came out. And the company right before I got it, they were like, they literally, I I can't remember how old it was, maybe like six years old. And the company just pushed an update, like a firmware update to it, like a substantial Mm -hmm. update. So they're like, well, the stuff inside is still incredible. The headphone pre is one of the best headphone pre's I've ever heard. Yep. And it's just a great rig. It doesn't take up a lot of space, and you can run your monitoring off of it. And I was like, well, sweet. I can get rid of this central station that I have. So that's what I was using for my monitoring beforehand. So it's just like you just need to figure it out, and it's like, the first piece of gear I got, I got a Neve MBP. Why did I get that? Because it's a compressor. It has a limiter. It has like different styles of compressing, whether the RMS or peak, or you have a. It can be a feed forward or a feedback compressor. The gain sounds insane. You have two silk textures that you can blend in or out. You can send like a, the stereo field editor to the compressor to kind of do a mid side thing, and then you have the stereo field compressor or editor where you can like switch your like your depth and your width and your mid mid and side and all that crazy jazz. So it's like not it's like not a one trick pony. And it's like I'm not going to pigeonhole myself with this. And then 
essentially what I do from there is I then choose upgrades based on where my weakest link is. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, well, I really would like an external EQ, but I don't need one, like, really bad, but I'm seeing that a lot of mixes have some problems with the low end, and then some people get a little sassy, and they're like, I'm going to throw on a bunch of top end on this. And it's like, well, that's not really air. That's just annoying. And so what I need is a shelving EQ, and so then I get a Bax. And I absolutely love the dangerous Bax. I think it just does what it needs to do, and it stays out of the way. And it's like, that's how like I choose the gear that I want to choose. And I did the Massalik MPL2. You have a little bit of a limiter on there, and you also have a high-frequency peak limiter. And it's like, that's fantastic. And you can put it in mid-side mode. So that's exactly what I wanted. It's like, <laughs> I feel like when you're in the analog realm, you're trying to constantly solve for an illness I refer to as digititis. So you're trying to make things sound less digital, and you're trying to give it a little bit more air. And... People sometimes mistake that by, oh, I'm going to throw a big old shelf on the end of it and give it some air, pump some air into it is what they say. And that's not that. The more I've gotten into this, the more I realize that air is kind of the absence of something. Mm-hmm. It's like you wave, your, you wave your hand, like wave your hand right now wherever you are in the air. What do you feel? Nothing. Well, that's what air is supposed to be. There's supposed <laughs> to be nothing up there. So it's like, it's like my, my buddy Angel and I were joking around because we were talking about how people put air in things, and I'm like, yeah, people shelve like into the quote-unquote air region, but that's not really it. It's really more like the lack of something and like allowing that section of the mix to breathe and giving it room. And I consider something having a lot of air when you turn it up and you can keep turning it up and it doesn't get harsh and it doesn't like break up on you. And it's like you can literally clip your amplifier and your speakers before, like, that will start getting harsh to you. Mm-hmm. So that's what I consider error, just like a ton of nothing, artistic nothing. Um, a lot of people might disagree with me, but that's kind of how I envision it now, and that's kind of what I go for. So then that's how I've been upgrading my chain in that realm. And so I feel like that's the direction you should go, and then keep on looking what the weakest link in your chain is, and then just keep on upgrading for that. I feel like it's a relatively simple process. It's expensive. That's probably the hardest part. But it's like if you do the work and you just keep on offering a good service to your clients, you should be good. Right. So, But it's like in order to get there, you need to literally map out where you want to be and then reverse engineer out the 1,000 small steps that you need to do in order to get there. Yep. So... What say you, Sam Moses? I mean, my main thing that I like about everything you just said was how it was all steps. It's all process. And that, I think, is what gets overlooked is you are not entitled to any piece of gear. You're not entitled to a career. You're not entitled to working with a client that you think you should be working with. And everything requires, like one step at a time mentality and that to me is how you build up a client list your gear list anything you want to do with in life habits behavior to me i've found the most helpful thing is when i just do one thing at a time and that's really hard to be okay with because it can be so 
unfulfilling at first because it's not an instant gratification thing. And you don't see, you may not see a lot of prop or prop. Um, um, what's the word? Oh my gosh. I can't think of it. Use your words. Progress. Thank you. <laughs> I literally, my brain was empty. You may not see a lot of progress at first because you're doing the one thing at a time. But once you start stacking it all together, I mean, this is literally going to be a mastering analogy because once I start stacking my EQs and compressors together, all the little things add up to the final Mm. big sound. And that is a universal, I think, idea that can work with any industry, but specifically within music is I remember when I, you know, bought a piece of gear and I thought, well, this does one thing really well. That's cool. But I also want, it's it's just like what you were talking about, Matt. I don't need to re-say it all, but building your chain up takes time and it takes money. But I can promise you that if you're willing to take the time and invest into yourself, that's what you're doing, which is to me the best investment is investing into yourself via gear yes. and education. Those two things are worth spending the thousands and thousands of dollars on because it will equip you to serve your client better, but it also will make your work fun. Like the amount of confidence you begin to get when you know you have bought the piece of gear you wanted as opposed to buying something that was half the cost, but you just kind of have a knee-jerk reaction of, I'm going to buy this because I need some gear. Like I have been there. I'm a... I was a impulse shopper for many years throughout high school and college. And even when I started music 10 years ago, like there would be things I would buy strictly because I wasn't impatient where I would spend $300 on a microphone, but the microphone I actually want is $1,000 at the time. Or I want a certain EQ and it's 2000 but I can get this other one that's kind of cool too that people won't like scoff at, but it's only 1200 but it's not really what I want. And mm-hmm. I think that's within this is, you know, with the type of projects you want and the type of work you want to do and the type of career you want to create, you have to really hit the reality button and go, what do I actually want out of this? And then you have to poke it with the question of why. Why do I need to work with Kanye West? Why do I need to have a massive passive 2BQ? Why do I need to do these things? And as you start to poke it and unpack it, and I used unpack again, peel back the layers, um, you'll probably run into some things in your life that need addressed in a good way that'll help you define more so, okay, this is what I actually want to do. This is actually the sound I want to make. These are the people that I'm actually a good fit for and actually be great at. And then understanding that where you're at is is totally fine and where you where you need to be and that if you keep going just like you were saying Matt, one little thing at a time, reverse engineer it, eventually you will be where you want to go a lot sooner than you thought was possible. And I can attest to that and I feel like Matt, you could probably attest to that based on you know, over the last two years of us being friends and, and going through the stages of... What a lovely two years. Oh, it's just, it's a gift. It's such a blessing, like, to see I'm where... I'm glad you, you got to meet me. I'm glad I got to meet you, too. <laughs> You've changed my life. But that, 
that that like to see you from when we first started talking to listening to how you talk now, it's incredible. And it hasn't been that long, but yet now you have you have so much, I'll say wisdom, you may disagree, but I think you have a lot of great insight and wisdom on mastering and life and business. And I think you have a great understanding of gear and the point of it and how to best use it to serve your clients and for it to be an extension of how you want to hear music. And it's really only been, I mean, I know you've put a, you put in a lot of work before we met, but the last two years have been, I feel like, huge for you in growth. And the, the quality of work you're doing, I think, is great. And I think most people just get crippled by the idea that they think it's going to take too long, it's too daunting, and doing one thing at a time isn't always sexy. And you can't really advertise that on Instagram, like showing a mastering desk that only has one piece of gear in it kind of is embarrassing. <laughs> like It's kind of like, oh, I have 18 other empty slots. So immediately as a human, you're like, well, I want to fill it up just like all those other guys have it filled up. And there's that constant comparison mentality we have where we see someone with more and we think, well, they must be better. They must be greater. That must be why they're successful. And I try to remind people as when people ask me, how did I work with so-and-so or how did I do this? It's like, you have to understand when I got this client, I had no clients you knew of. Like there was a time when I, the, you know, the first label gig I got, I got, and I worked fully in the box on a laptop. Like I didn't have gear. I didn't have any clients you knew of, but someone took a chance and someone liked the way I treated them, the way I communicated, the way I served them. And then they, they liked my work enough to say, yeah, that works for us. It's great. And that to me is like, I continually try to get people to understand that anyone who you view as successful or is doing the work you desire, you have to understand that at one point they did not do that work. And for most people, their story is similar as I was just talking to a guy this week. It's like, if I could best summarize it, it's like all my success and big breaks have pretty much come from being the second guy in line to get the email or phone call. Hmm. Like I wasn't the first choice, you know, it was the guy was sick. The guy got busy. The guy messed up. The guy did this. But that's how it all works. Yes, That's exactly. how it's always worked. Yeah. And that, I think, is people don't like talking about that. And when I, when I was saying that to him this week, it, it was really a big moment for me being like, you know what? I've been second choice a lot of times, but the second choice has led me to forming these incredible relationships with people and it's allowed me to then grow my business and grow in my skill level and invest back into my, you know, what the kind of signal chain I want to create. And it's like, I just had that realization this week when I was talking to him. And I think it's something that people need to hear more is like, you don't, you may not be the first choice always. And that doesn't mean you're failing. Like you could be the second choice or the third choice, but the, what matters and the whole point of this episode is, are you actually ready to take on that work? When that, when you're the second choice and they say, hey, we called so-and-so and they are sick or on vacation, but we thought they of did. you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> can you do this? You better be ready 
to be like, heck yeah, I can do it. Send it over. Let's knock it out. Here's my onboard <laughs> form. Here's when I'm turning around. Here's what I have a reference for you. Do you have codes? Can I get the metadata? Do I need to provide that for Like, you need to be ready to knock it out of the park or at least ask the right questions to then be able to go do your own research, regroup, and tell them, yeah, I can actually do this. I can do it great. And here's when I'll deliver it if you can get the mixes to me now. And that is something that I wish someone would have told me all that. Like, you're just not told that because it's so easy for us to just go on Instagram or Facebook or listen to somebody else's podcast or watch a video and just be like, wow, they... They must have been in the right place at the right time. Must be nice. Must be lucky. And it's like everyone I've met, that's, that is just not their story 99% of the time. Like sometimes it seems like luck and they're in the room at the right place at the right time. But the amount of like seed planting I did to become the second guy in line to actually be thought of is a lot of work. And that's like it's you have to do the work before you even get the work. It's like there's a whole reverse engineer to even put yourself in a position to get the project you want to do, and then the actual work may start for you. And I think that's it can be daunting to people, but I want to encourage people that if you do what Matt said, which is reverse engineer it and see this from a very long-term view, 10,000-foot viewpoint, that it's really not that intimidating and that you can really do this and you can actually work with the artists you want to work with because there's a path. And I really believe that there's a path to get to any artist or label you want to work with. And yeah, I mean, there may be a time like when you don't get to work with that artist, but I found at least over the last 10 years, anytime I want to work with someone specific or get into their camp, as people call them, their camp of people, it's like, you just start at the bottom and you figure out if you're actually a good fit and then you work your way up and then eventually you're there and you then once again, you get to go, am I actually still a good fit for this? Is this actually something I still want to do? Or is this now that I know what, how they operate, am I a good fit or not? You know, And that's where if you've done the work, you've equipped yourself, you've done your self-awareness work of what you want to be doing, what you like to be doing, where your strengths are and your workflow and how you hear music. Like if you don't know all that, I would challenge everyone like over this next week to really take time and write down what do you actually want to be doing? Like forget about the piece of gear you want to buy for the moment. Forget about Instagram followers. How do I get clients? How do I convert things? Just spend some time writing out what do you want to do? What do you offer? What problems can you solve? How do you hear music? And then make a list of people that fit that and then start doing the work of how do I get to those people and then figure out, well, do I need a certain piece of gear then to, to create the sound I'm wanting? So like for me, I like colorful stuff. And so I wanted a massive passive because of the tubes and the type of tubes and the type of filtering and coloring. And so for me to create the sound that's in my head or what I think is in my head, I bought a massive passive and I love it. And it's helped me get out, you know, to my clients, you know, my vision and helping them also get their vision out as well. So there's a place for gear and there's a place for all of it and it's all good, but it's a matter of what's the motive, the why, and is the timing right? 
And that to me is like, that's super important is asking those questions on a, for me, I ask it almost on a daily basis when I'm journaling and meditating is, you know, what, what am I doing today? Is this, you know, is this what I, what I, I don't really love the word should, but what I should be doing, um, you know, and am I, am I equipping myself continually to best serve my clients? Um, because I want to serve my clients and I want it to be a great experience. And that requires a constant equipping of yourself, educating and investing into yourself. So that's my monologue number two. And I am actually done. I don't have another monologue. I feel like I just said everything I wanted to. So, Man, if we only had a podcast episode on investing in yourself first. If only we did. Well, guess what? <laughs> January 31st, 2018 at 10 a.m., that came true. Boom. Episode four. Pow. Go check it out. It's a good episode. I feel like, well, we are 10 times, at least as of the time we're recording this, we are 10 times more episodes than when we released that. That's, That's incredible. Crazy. Incredible. That's crazy. Content domination. Content. <laughs> Matt, do you have anything else to say? Do you have another monologue? Thoughts? I don't have a monologue, but I got stuff to say. Come I always on. have stuff to say. Let's say it. I want to hear <clears throat> from you. Okay. You need to start treating your business like a business. Love it. And stop being a fucking joker. Here we go. Come on. I Seriously. Like this. No, because it's... If you treat this like a hobby and you're wondering why you're not making money, it's because you're treating it like a hobby. And any business that does not make money in the first three years is a hobby. Mm. So you need to take the time to invest in your skill and in your business. If you do not do this, then do not complain about lack of clients. Do not complain about lack of money. Do not complain about anything that you are lacking because you need to treat this like a business. You need to go to, if you live in South Carolina, you need to go type in the website, SCSOS, South Carolina Secretary of State. Click .com, go to it, and then see if anyone else has your business name. If not, claim your business name, and then register it as an LLC. It's like $10, or maybe even a dollar. <laughs> register that. You'll get, an, you'll get something called an EIN. It's called an employer identification number. Also, this works in just about any state. Yep. So it's like if they're, it's, it's around Christmas time and I want to send out Christmas presents to a bunch of people that I've worked with over the past year. Do you know what I do? I'm not a creep and I ask them for their address. I just go onto the Secretary of State website and look up their filing. There you go. That's way easier. Unless it's a P.O. box, and I'm typically like spot on. Yep. So go to the Secretary of State website. Every state has one, and go look up your business and get an employer identification number. It's called an EIN. Don't give that number to anyone. It's like your social security number, unless it's a government official. Take that, and then go register with your state for articles of incorporation or articles of organization. could be either one. You fill that out, and then you send it. With South Carolina, it's a $115 check. Register yourself as an LLC because if you're in business long enough, someone's going to try to sue you. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're in music. doesn't matter if you're wherever. Always protect yourself. An LLC separates your personal liabilities financially from the business's liabilities. So if someone comes after you, they're not coming after Joe Schmo. They're coming after, like, your LLC. So do that and then open a bank account and never transfer between your personal account or yeah, your personal account and your business account. That'll kind of null and void the LLC in illegal terms. 
and then run your business like a business and operate it seriously <laughs> and treat it like a business. And when someone comes to you, actually treat them like a business and not like, like don't treat them like an asshole, but like treat it seriously and like actually have pride in what you do. And when you deliver something, be confident in it, even though inside you're going to be burning up and saying, I know I screwed that up. <laughs> Everyone says that. And eventually you get over that. And eventually you get to a point of, yeah, I know they're going to love it. And the only reason you're anxious on the other end of the line is because you're just waiting for them to tell you how much they love it. <laughs> That's right. all it is. Yep. Because you know it's going to be awesome because you've invested in yourself. If you want to know how to invest in yourself, ask Sam how to get in with Mix with the Masters. Like, find a mastering engineer if you want to be a mastering engineer. Or if you want to be a mix engineer, find a mix engineer. And literally go to them and say, hey, do you have any opportunity for like me to study under you or to engineer for you or to be an intern? It's like, don't be a thug. Go like actually <laughs> pursue it and be like a decent person and don't be like, hey, I want to take you to coffee. Everyone can do that. Right. Actually freaking offer somebody something that they can like receive that is of value. Like you buying somebody a $2 cup of coffee because you're broke and have no job, like that offers nobody value. Right. So like... Literally find ways to invest in yourself. If no one will listen to you, guess what? The internet is an incredible resource. And I'm I'm self-taught. I didn't like I didn't ask Sam how do I become a mastering engineer. I asked Sam little tiny things about, hey, if a client does X, how do I respond with Y? What's the best way to handle that? It's like those are semantics. And I like the way that Sam handles his business. And he's a cool guy. And I Hey, said, hey, would you mind mentoring me in the way that you do business? Because I've seen how you've like mastered projects for I think it was like five or six of my like friends that I'd met over the past four years. And I want I really liked how the projects turned out. And then everyone who has met Sam or run into Sam says how wonderful of a person he is. Aww. That's someone you want to train under. Thank you. So I don't think Sam offers mentorship anymore, so you might have lost the boat might have sailed, <laughs> but um, I'll help you out if you DM me. Or something. Yeah. And it's like people DM me all the time. They're like, hey, how do you do X, Y, or Z? And I just tell them. And I'm not going to charge you money to do it. I'm just going to let you know. This is the best way and this is how I found out how to do it. And it just it just kind of is what it is. But you need to start, start treating what you're doing like a business. And I've said this quote like a hundred times. But when you start identifying with what you're doing, stuff shakes loose. Mm-hmm. So that was the turning point for me when I heard that. And so just start identifying with what you're doing and people will just treat you seriously because you identify with that. And end of story. That's just, that just how it is. Mm -hmm. And if you don't take the time to do those little tiny things and then file and do all your taxes and learn what quarterly taxes are and learn all the intricacies of a business because no one teaches you how to start a business. That's probably the last five or 10 minutes of me talking is probably the most comprehensive thing you'll ever hear from anybody on how to start a business. That's what I Nobody was, tells you how to do it. No, no gonna one's going to tell you that. Like, even though it's just you sitting in your basement doing a, like running a studio, no one's going to tell you that you're going to receive random letters from the department of unemployment and workforce 
like threatening you to pay them. It's like, oh, bro, it's only me here. Or like OSHA is <laughs> going to be contacting you. No, it'll be the people who print the posters for OSHA that you need to hang up in like a cafeteria or like a mutual place saying, you can't do this to your employees and these are the rights. And it's like, bro, it's only me. And they're like, oh, okay. But if you don't tell them that, then you get OSHA breathing down your neck <laughs> and you don't want that because when OSHA comes around, it's oh shit. So don't <laughs> let OSHA come around. And it's like, you got to know. And it's like, you're going to have the fire, like, you're going to have, like, ADP calling you, and you're going to, not ADP, ATP, or whatever it's called, the fire alarm company, and then you're going to have, yeah, because somehow they know everything about every new business filing. (laughs) And I'm just, like, telling you what's going to happen, and you need to, like, stay on top of these taxes and actually, like, hire a good accountant and, like, get this stuff straightened out and tell people, okay, this is what you owe per quarter. Second quarter is June 15th coming up. It's July 15th, isn't it? Is it June 15th? June June quarter. Mm. June Uh, is the sixth month quarter. Damn it. Coming up, Mac. Ten days from now. Here we go. Continue. Sorry. Didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was just thinking. I was like, my my accountant said I didn't need to worry about second quarter, second quarterly, so. Well, it's possible. I think no, I think we paid we paid in too much first quarter. Well, there you go. You're good to go. So he said that we didn't need to worry about second quarter. You so, basically need yeah. to have the ninety percent by the end of your year. Is, Pretty much is usually, but the quarterly is. Yeah, or you can get a or you can get a fine, but you don't have to pay quarterlies. Right, you don't. Have you, can, to. you can you can just pay annual, but you're gonna you're gonna learn why that's not the best thing. And right. I mean, it's pretty much the government wants your money. And then whenever you, you hit a certain threshold, you can figure out if you can become an S-corp and you don't have to worry about self-employment tax and all, all of that fun stuff. So the government is a greedy piglet <laughs> suckling at the teat that is your wallet. Seems like it some days. Yeah, it does. But if you figure out how to write your expenses right, at least for four years in a row, you can claim no money. Mm-hmm. You can claim that you have a loss. I think if you do it more than five years, you can kind of get in the range of getting an audit. Yeah. Like, you should learn why to keep your receipts. And when you file, learn how to write things off. Like, hey, I bought more th- or I spent more than I made. And that's not bad. That's just a business strategy. Whenever you're building a business, typically businesses do spend more than they make. So, but eventually you're going to want to take a profit. Eventually you might want to take a loan. And <clears throat> you'll learn why it's good to show a profit. Right. And why you begrudgingly pay those taxes because then a bank will pay attention to you and say, oh, yeah, you have X number of amount of money in your account. And so we will loan you our money. Right. So it's all, you'll learn it. Yep. So if you want any help, let us know. We might point you in the wrong direction, but eh, you never know until <laughs> you ask. That's right. So. Anywho. That was great, man. Anyway. That was yeah. like Treat- proper education that you will not find anywhere else. Do you know what those BS stuff is? They don't teach you how to pay taxes in school. Oh, I know. And you know why that's ironic? Because schools get paid via taxes. Yeah. How stupid is that? It doesn't make much sense. Just like with taxes in general, most people don't know what they're doing and <laughs> they're just hoping they're right. And if you're wrong, you can go to jail. <laughs> like. Yep. It's pretty intense, high stakes, and they're just yeah. Being an idiot on your taxes isn't a crime, right? Tax evasion is crime. There you go. So don't do that. Yeah. 
Um, a jailable offense. Yep. So, anywho, you have the blue lights outside your house. <laughs> and your neighbor's being like, man, they're hauling him off again? Again? Yeah, whatever. Anywho. Anyway. Treat your life and treat your life with respect and then treat, like, what you are doing as a business. I love it. That's one of the, that's probably the biggest way to equip yourself to win. Absolutely. And, Yeah. I think this is a pretty good episode. It's great. Pretty man. solid content. You just smashed that ending. Another win, Sam. Another one. <laughs> All right. Take us home, Matt. Sam, you got anything else for the people? I'm done. Cool. Morning, afternoon, evening, whatever you're all having, have a darn good one. Sam? Yes. Cue the music. Woo! <laughs> Cueing. <laughs> See y'all.